So God, we walk in victory and we are not going to live defeated lives anymore. And we just claim victory over our kids. We claim it over our finances. We claim it over our health. We claim it over our marriages. We claim it over our mouths. We claim it, Lord God. We walk in it in the name of Jesus. So we cast out fear in the name of Jesus. We cast out worry and anxiety. We speak joy, victorious joy in our lives in the name of Jesus. We do it. Now, Lord God, speak to us. May the seed of your word fall on good ground. I'm available to you. Use me, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Joshua chapter 7 if you're new with us. We are making our way through the book of Joshua. We are calling the series Fight, Occupying God's Promises for Your Life. I want you to fasten your seatbelts today. This is a very uh, peculiar and troubling passage. Uh, And in my flesh, I'd love to skip over it. Uh, But I'm committed to giving you all the whole counsel of God. And I feel as if, if we would... Let the Spirit of God speak. There's some things He really wants to do in our lives today if we will receive it. Let me read to us the whole story. Pick me up in verse 1 of Joshua chapter 7. But the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things, and the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, east of Beth-El, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. And the men went up and spied out Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or three thousand men go up and attack Ai. Don't make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. So about three thousand men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as uh, Shebarim and struck them at the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. Then, verse 6, Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening. And he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why have you brought this people over the Jordan at all to give us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Would that we had been content to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say when Israel has turned their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear of it and will surround us and cut off our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? And the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. Verse 16. 
So Joshua rose early in the morning and brought Israel tribe near, tribe by tribe, and the tribe of Judah was taken. And he brought near the clans of Judah, and the clan of the Zerites was taken. And he brought near the clan of the Zerites, man by man, and Zabdi was taken. And he brought near his household, man by man, and Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, was taken. Then Joshua said to Achan, My son, give glory to the Lord, God of Israel, and give praise to him. And tell me now what you have done. Do not hide it from me. And Achan answered Joshua, Truly I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shinar, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a bar of gold weighing fifty shekels, then I coveted them and took them. And see, they are hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. So Joshua sent messengers, and they ran to the tent, and behold, it was hidden in his tent with the silver underneath. And they took them out of the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the people of Israel, and they laid them down before the Lord. And Joshua and all Israel with, with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, and the silver and the cloak and the bar of gold, and his sons and daughters and his oxen and donkeys and sheep and his tent and all that he had. And they brought them to the valley of Achor. And Joshua said, Why did you bring trouble on us? The Lord brings trouble on you today. And all Israel stoned him with stones. They burned them with fire and stoned them with stones. And they raised over him a great heap of stones that remains to this day. Then the Lord turned from his burning anger. Therefore, to this day, the name of that place is called the Valley of Achor. Well then, <laughs> fasten your seatbelts. A couple months ago, my, um, I, I, I took my boys, I've got three sons, Quentin Miles and Jaden, and I, I took my three boys um, up the road here at Mount Hermon. Anybody ever been, to Mount, uh, anybody ever been up to Mount Hermon? I took my boys up there. <clears throat> didn't take my wife, no offense to Mount Hermon, my, my wife is not a very outdoorsy kind of person. And so she said, may the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm going to do a staycation. So I, I took the boys and we went up there. If you've ever been to Mount Hermon, you know there's a stretch of road going up to Mount Hermon where, um, where there's, not any, there's not a shoulder. Um, there's like two lanes um, going one way, two lanes coming another way. And as we are going up to Mount Hermon, we noticed um, that there was a huge traffic jam coming the opposite way. And of all the stretches of road to get into an accident on and to encounter traffic, that's one of the worst stretches I would think in the bay. Because, again, there's no shoulder. And I just remember looking at, uh, at my um, odometer and, and just seeing from the time we saw the, the, the accident until we got through the end of traffic on the other side, there was over five miles of standstill traffic. Now, my boys will tell you, they, they, they get a little sick, uh, sick of me uh, because I don't need one of these to preach. I, 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 I find every way to preach to my sons. And everything I, I try to make an illustration, I, I tell them. Now, now, boys, what you're seeing 
is, in, is a good illustration of sin. One person's bad decision has impacted hundreds, if not thousands, of lives. One person's bad decision could, could have been, you know, texting or not paying attention or whatever it may have been. Just think of all the schedules, all the lives that were impacted by one person's bad decision. Think of all the dinners that were delayed or canceled. Think of all the, the rendezvous that were put on hold. Think of all the plans that were, that were severely delayed because of one person's bad decision. The point of it is, we don't make decisions in a vacuum. That in some way, shape, or form, my decisions impact others. I'm, I'm on record as saying um, that I love Pastor Paul, on record. But if you've been around Abundant Life for a while, just look around and you can see the truth of what I've just told you. Our decisions impact others. Today I want to talk about sin. I'm sorry for those of you who it's your first time here. Some of y'all are like, come on, Pastor. Can't, I wish I had a memo. I, I've invited this person, first time here. In fact, in fact, my, my youngest is on the front row. He, he, he came up to me during the meeting. He said, Dad, what are you preaching on today? Uh, I said, I'm talking about sin. He says, oh. <laughs> not an exciting topic. And if you're not excited, multiply that times a thousand and you see how I feel. This ain't the kind of message you grow a church off of. If, if you want to create space in a church, talk about sin. In fact, unfortunately, we done swung the pendulum way to the other extreme. We, churches hardly talk about sin now. It's... And I don't know if y'all clapping because they don't talk about sin or what. But it's kind of old-fashioned to talk about sin these days. In fact, I, I feel like I'm preaching in a members-only jacket. <laughs> Anybody remember those? If you have on one now, I'm sorry. I um, feel like I got on some stonewashed jeans. Alan lost some of y'all. No, stonewashed jeans. Carl Kanai shirt. All the black people said, ooh. Fubu. For us, by us. They all got me off track. But to talk about sin, so, so the question on the table is, well, then why are you talking about it? Well, my commitment here at this church as a preacher is to not say what I want to say. But it is to give you a steady diet of the word of God. Amen. 
And we do something here called expository preaching, which means a lot of times we'll just work through books. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. And, and sometimes, you know, you look at one chapter and go, oh, yeah, that's some good stuff, man. They're going to they shout on that one. That's some red velvet cake, German chocolate cake stuff right there. And another chapter is a tofu. I'm sorry, I'm in California. Y'all actually enjoy that. Um, kale. No, I'm still in California. Um, So sometimes when you preach the word, it'll get you in trouble. But like I tell young preachers, you keep preaching that same word, it'll get you out of trouble. And so the reason why we're talking about sin is we're making our way through the book of Joshua. And Joshua chapter 7 is all about sin. Now I want you to hang in there with me because... Before I get to Joshua chapter 7, just real quick, I, I, I got to share with you my struggle as I teach this text to you. On one hand, if I'm not careful, I can make too big of a deal out of sin. The Bible does not want us to obsess or even focus on our sin. The focus is on Jesus. Jesus did not say, I have come that you might obsess over your sin. But Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. So the focus is on Jesus and the life that he brings to us. Tragically, in the history of American Christianity, there are a lot of churches who obsess over sin. These are legalistic, self-righteous, judgmental churches. Some of us grew up in those churches where, where women couldn't wear pants. I don't know where they got the chapter and verse on that one. Couldn't wear makeup. Had to dress a certain way to go to church. Couldn't say certain things. And, 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 and those churches make such a big deal out of sin that, that they are, they are a, a joyless, lifeless, suspicious, legalistic. And no wonder those churches tend to lose young adults. Because when those kids turn 18, they give that church the deuces. And they don't come back. Because the focus was never on Christ. It was on what you could and couldn't do. So I'm on record now. That ain't how we roll up in here. So one tension is to make too big of a deal out of it. But on the other hand, and this is for us here in the Bay, I don't think that's our struggle in the Bay. Because we live in what's called a secular culture. Secularism is this idea, I explained it to the, to the other way, it's, it's the other week. It's this worldview in which God is not on the throne, the individual is. And God, at best, under secularism, is pushed to the outskirts or the suburbs of the person's life. So the secular individual, at best, will sprinkle just enough Jesus on their life to be acceptable, but not too much to be fanatical. It's the secular person. We see secularism at the Grammys, where some artist will win an award for some outrageous song. And the first thing out their mouth, first want to give honor and glory to God. 
Wait a minute, didn't the song you won song of the year for was I Shot Your Mama? Want to give honor and glory to God. That's secularism. Secularism. Now, here's the problem with the secular worldview. The secular person, which is the bay, has no real concept of personal sin. They, they'll grieve over mass acts of evil. They'll, they'll grieve over Las Vegas. But they're not driving home going, you know what, I'm a greedy person. They're not, they're not staying up late at night feeling bad about the adulterous relationship. That's not what happens. In fact, if you've ever tried to share your faith in a secular culture, you understand that the biggest barrier to people coming to faith in Jesus Christ in a secular culture is convincing them of sin. And that there's a problem in the first place. There's an interesting book. I haven't read it. I read an article about it. It's a new book that's coming out written by Esther Perel called The State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity. And this book captures the secular spirit. She's interviewing married women who are having adulterous relationships. This is what Esther writes. Look at it with me. What surprised me most about these conversations was not that my friends were cheating, but that many of them were so nonchalant in the way they described their extramarital adventures. There was deception, watch it, but little secrecy or shame. The fact is, one person she interviewed says, I'm nicer to my husband when I have something special going on that's just for me. It occurred to me, Esther continues, as I listened, that these women were describing infidelity not as a transgression, but a creative or even subversive act, a protest against an institution they come to experience as suffocating or oppressive. So the secular spirit says, you do you. You, you, you be happy. And in this book, they nail it. There is no deep personal concept of sin. So here's my tension. How do we wade into Joshua chapter 7 in such a way that we don't go the way of the legalist or the fundamentalist and turn this into a judgmental, self-righteous place where, where we just have a bunch of referees who blow the whistle on other people's shortcomings? Because if you ever wanted to see Jesus ticked off, that's the crowd he got ticked off at. But on the other hand, how do we preach this text in such a way that the secularist is jolted out of their sin? Here we go. This text teaches us three quick things about sin. And then I'm going to end with three practical applications. Joshua chapter 6, 7, and 8 should be read as one unit. It's really one long narrative. Joshua chapter 6, they, they march around the walls of Jericho. In fact, we, 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 we walked through this. We just kind of called it a silly faith. And what does it look like to believe God to do silly things like the nation of Israel? They walk down, uh, walk around the, the walls of Jericho. The, jail, the, the walls of Jericho come crashing down. Now we get to Joshua chapter 7. They are on a high. They're so much on a high that, that now they've got to take on Ai. Ai is a small town. In fact... Whoever named Ai should be shot. The, named, the, the name Ai means ruin. 
or destruction. So here's Israel. They've just taken down mighty Jericho. Joshua says, Let, let's send out a couple spies to AI. Come back with a report. They, they, they said, look, 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 look. We don't even need to send our varsity squad over there. Just, just send the JV over there. Just send a couple thousand men. That's, that's all we need. In college football terms, uh, uh, Israel is the University of Alabama's football team. Zeke, you like that. There it is. Roll Tide. And AI is Howard University. Sorry for those of y'all who went to Howard University, but don't act like y'all got a good football team. And lo and behold, University of Alabama goes over there to play Howard University and they get stomped. 36 people die. Now notice what, what's missing in chapter 7. Chapter 1, they talk to God. Chapter 2, they talk to God. Chapter 3, they talk to God. Chapter 4, they talk to God. Chapter 5, they talk to God. Chapter 6, they talk to God. They never talk to God before they go to AI. We got this. You know, one of the biggest barriers to your growth in Christ is past victory and success. Success is oftentimes a bigger killer than failure. Joshua doesn't talk to God, now gets the news. They've lost. The Bible says that their hearts melted like water. Joshua now takes himself over to the Ark of the Covenant, which represents the presence of God. He throws himself. It's like he's in sackcloth and ashes. And God says, we'll unpack it later on. Joshua, get up off your face. Here's the problem. Y'all have sinned. If you peel it back, Joshua chapter 6, God says, here's what I want you to do. When you go into Jericho, do not take the devoted things. This is odd because in ancient military warfare, whenever you won, you always took the spoil. God says, don't take that. All that's mine. Now, I think the reason why God says this is because Jericho was the first battle. In other words, God says, I want a first fruits offering. I want the whole thing dedicated to me. One man, one man, hears that and decides to go his own way. So that we see a nation in chapter 7 that doesn't consult God decide to do things their own way. And one man that doesn't consult God decides to do things their own way. Here's the first thing we see about sin. The very nature of sin is independence. When you boil all sin down, it is me choosing to go my way over God's. Second series I ever te- uh, preached here at the church was a series on the book of Jonah. And one thing that I told you back then was strike from your vocabulary the phrase fell into sin. As if you was walking down the street and sin was a pothole that you didn't see coming and you just slipped off into some gossip. Ooh, I don't know how that happened. No, tell the truth. 9.9 times out of 10, we walk into sin with our eyes wide open. Corey and I get this question all the time. Young, young parents, well, well, when do I discipline my, my children? The moment you see them little jokers crawling around, headed towards that little outlet, and you tell them no, and they stop and look at you. And they do it anyway. See, that tells me you understand. <laughs> they didn't go to a class on that. You understood. It's independence. All sin is... I hear you, 
Most of our sin is not ignorance. It's independent. And, and, and you know what? God's so funny. Sometimes God will do stuff to give you time to think about it. Like, like it's 1130 at night. You going over to her house to watch a movie. You get in the car and the car all of a sudden you just bought it yesterday. It don't start. Come on, go with me, somebody. Sin is independence. It's knowing what's right and wrong, but choosing to do it my way. That is the very nature of sin. Secondly, the nature of sin's independent. Secondly, he now gives us the seriousness of sin. If our, te- if our text was a scratch and sniff, y'all remember those scratch and sniff? If you scratch Joshua 7, it would give off the aroma of death. Watch it. One man, Achan, says, I'm not going to obey God. I'm going to do things my way. What happens? 36 Israelites die. Achan dies. His wife and his children die. Not only that, and I know this ain't popular in the Bay, his chihuahuas die. (laughs) Some of y'all don't think that's funny. I know, I know, I know. (laughs) I'm going to get some emails over that. I can talk about sin, but the moment I say that chihuahua died, that was a problem. All right, let let, let me keep it moving. I done lost some of y'all. His animals died. One man's sin brings death. Imagine I'm in a garden one day and I, I see a bed of beautiful red tulips. I get an idea that, that I'm going to woo my wife, Corey. I'm going to romance her. So I pluck one of those tulips out of the ground. I hand it to her and Corey is blushing and boy, I've scored a lot of points with her. But little does she realize it, the moment I take that tulip out of the ground and isolated it independence, I have just handed her death. Flower looks good, looks beautiful, looks radiant, looks flourishing. But the moment I took it out of a sense of connectedness to the life-giving force of soil, uprooted it is the moment it died. That is sin. People may look good. They may look like the poster child of success. They may look like the person I need to emulate my life off of. They may seem to be riding high high on the hog, the perfect car, perfect family. But if their life is not connected to God, they are like that tulip. Looks good. Death. Romans 6 says, for the wages of sin is not being in a timeout. It's death. What does our text teach us? Sin ain't nothing to be played with. Third thing. The nature of sin is independence. The seriousness of sin, it brings forth death. Third thing. This is the un-American portion of the sermon. Sin is profoundly social. It impacts relationships. Look at verse 12. Here's Joshua. He is 
at the Ark of the Covenant. He's crying out, God, what in the world happened? 36 of our guys died. The battle should have been won. It should have been easy. Look at what God says in the middle of verse 12. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. God says, listen, you went out onto the battlefield and little did you know it, you went by yourself. I wasn't with you. And why wasn't I with you? Because of sin. So when we talk about sin impacting relationships, we are now speaking on two levels. It impacts, first of all, my vertical relationship with God. First John chapter one says it this way. John, who doesn't pull any punches, he says these words, God is light. And if God is light and I'm walking in the darkness, that is walking in sin and I claim to have fellowship with God, I am lying. So what would God say to that Grammy artist who wants to thank God for blessing him for I shot your mama? The same thing he would say to that couple who's shacking up. The same thing he would say to that woman who's got a lying problem. Same thing he'd say to that young man who's addicted. You cannot claim my blessings and favor and negotiate life on your own terms. Secondly, when we say sin is social, we're not just saying it impacts my vertical relationship with God. Here it is very hard for us to grasp. It impacts my relationship with others. Listen, one man sins, but listen to what God says. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. He doesn't say Achan has sinned. Israel has sinned. They have transgressed my covenant that I commanded. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. See, this is hard for us as Americans. Because we love our personal relationship with Jesus. I get the concept, but that phrase is not found in the Bible. When God saved us, he put us into a community called the body of Christ. We are a communal people. Martin Luther King Jr. said it this way. Will you look at it with me? In a real sense, all life is interrelated. All persons are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. And you can never be what you ought to be until I am what I ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. We're connected. We get this in sports, don't we? Later on this afternoon, you'll turn on the television. By the way, heck of a victory for the Raiders. Um, those people are, who are clapping haven't gotten saved yet, but... Uh, uh, anyways, 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 uh, a couple of them are, are elders, so I think I just lost my job. But uh, if you ever watch sports, it's something very interesting. So we'll watch football this afternoon, and uh, it's very interesting. In- inevitably, the ref will throw a flag, blow the whistle, and here's what I'll say. Holding number 78. 
Then he'll do something interesting. He'll take the football and march that whole team back 10 yards. Even though one person made a bad decision, the whole team pays for it. You with me on that? That's exactly Joshua 7. God is the referee. Achan is number 78. But who suffers for one person's bad decision? The whole team of Israel. I hate to say this. Some way, shape, or form, your emotional Facebook affair is impacting abundant life. I hate to say it. Some way, shape, or form, your incessant gossiping and lying is impeding our effectiveness and witness for Christ. It's not just about your issues, but when you got saved, your issues now became our issues. So what do we do with this? Let me give you three things, then take you to the cross. Number one, the lesson of Joshua 7 is do not mess with God's devoted things. What is the sin of Achan in 2017? The sin of Achan is when we mess with God's devoted things. What are his devoted things? I can give you a long list. Let me give you two. And I need you to hear this first one, especially in the spirit realm, because it can sound very self-serving. God says in Malachi chapter 3, bring all the tithe into the storehouse. He begins by saying, shall a man rob God? Now, you know the difference between stealing and robbing. Stealing is taking something from someone without them noticing. When it comes to the all-knowing God, you can't steal from him. That's why God says, shall you rob me? God is clear. The tithe is mine. And some of you all, listen, I know this is highly debated. Some of you, well, it doesn't say that in the New Testament. Catch the spirit of the New Testament. The spirit of the New Testament is over, above, and beyond the old. That's the spirit. And the spirit is not, how little can I get away with? A New Testament redeemed heart is, how much can I give? So a greedy Christian, I'm not talking those who are struggling financially. And some of us, our pathway to repentance, maybe we're struggling financially. Our pathway to repentance is, you know what? Here's what I want to do. Every year, I want to add at least a percentage or two to my giving. And let's just walk the way of repentance that way. I don't know who gives what, by the way. And I never will. But a greedy Christian who takes that tithe that is devoted to God and uses it on themselves is committing the sin of Achan. One person right there. Let me give you another devoted thing. You know what God, what, you know what the Bible calls the church? The bride of Christ. Which means this. The church is God's woman. 
I was telling one of my sons in the ministry this week, he loves to keep it real. I said, okay, you keep popping off at the mouth and telling these folk how you really feel. You're going to be calling me for a job. To be a pastor means you can't say what you want to say. You got to bite your tongue. So you can come at me, you, you, you can send me emails, you, you know, and, and I'll bite my tongue, I'll meet with you. But if you mess with my wife, now that Philly, Brother Arshel, that Philly might come out of me. Because that's my woman. When the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ, it's God's woman. And when you mess with God's woman, you are messing with a devoted thing of God. So when you cause dissension and division and chaos, you are messing with God's woman. When you stand out on the parking lot and you have chit chat sessions and about folk in the church and you won't have the relational courage to sit down with them, you are messing with God's woman. Now, let me give a, a special word to Abundant Life on this. I sit in covenant partner classes. And typically over half of them are people who are coming back. Praise God. Love to have you back. And when a lot of the chaos was happening, some of y'all said, you know, I can't take this. I'm just going to slip out the back door. I get it. Understand. Now you're back. Love to have you back. I'm not talking to you. If you raised hell on your way out, you can't come back in here and sit down as if nothing's happened. And here's what's biblical. Your confession needs to be as loud as your transgression. In other words, if you went on Facebook and talked about God's church, don't meet with us in my office and say, I'm sorry. Go back on Facebook and say, I'm sorry. You can't mess with God's woman and think that everything's going to be fine. You can't do that. that. That doesn't exist. People treat their country clubs better than their church. These are the devoted things. Listen, we're moving forward. We ain't mad at nobody else. I, as my grandfather said, I ain't studying no other church. God bless them. But all I'm saying is, if you left here in Aiken, you can't come back here as Aiken. Make it right. Secondly, first application, don't mess with the devoted things. Some of y'all, by the way, this last point, y'all are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Secondly. Real quickly, if sin brings death to relationships, then the thing that will bring the most life to relationships is holiness. In other words, the best thing you can do for your marriage, more than reading a book or going to a conference, is just walking with Christ. That's the best thing you can do for your marriage. 
best thing you can. If you graft out Corey and I's marriage, there is a direct relationship between the high points and our walk with the Lord and our low points and my lack of walking with the Lord. It's funny how that works. I can't live in the flesh and have a happy wife. So the best thing you bring to your friendships, to your relationships, is just walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, going to war with sin, abiding with Christ. That brings life to relationships. Thirdly and and finally on the applications here. This is a tough one. Remember I told you that every Old Testament picture has a New Testament point. The New Testament, Joshua chapter 7, is 1 Corinthians 5. I want you to turn there real quick. I wasn't going to do this, but but this is so important. I I need you to turn there. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, It's a short chapter. I'll just read the 10 verses to you. I believe it's 10 verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is incredibly important to the life of our church. No, it's a little bit more than 10 verses. It's 13. Here we go. This guy who wrote this, his name is Paul. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. In other words, y'all are wilding out. For a man, watch it now, has his father's wife. What scholars tell us here is there's a member of a church sleeping with a stepmother. And you are arrogant. Just, just give me a minute. We, 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 we got a few more minutes here. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord, Jesus and my spirit is present. And the power of the Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know, watch it now, that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? What is he saying here? One person's sin impacts other people. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened for Christ. Our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside, purge the evil person from among you. This final point of application is what I want to show you. A church that doesn't confront sin welcomes it. I need you to hear me. A church that doesn't confront sin welcomes it. I want you to hear me. We ain't the spiritual FBI. We ain't. So Paul is clear. You only do church discipline on a person who meets these three criteria. One, they claim to be a follower of Jesus. So we don't do church discipline on nonbelievers. Two, on a person who claims to be a follower of Jesus who is a member of this church. So we don't do church discipline on non-members. Covenant partners, forgive me. I'll drop a quarter in the thing. Third, we only do church discipline not on people who sin, but on people who are living in sin. That's the difference. 
The text says this man has his father's wife. He is sleeping with his stepmother. The whole church knows about it. And they just come to church. Ain't nobody talking about it. No one's confronting them. Paul says a little leaven leavens a whole lump. You know about someone living in sin and you're not dealing with it. Your witness is being compromised. In 13 years of being a senior pastor, I've only done this twice. Twice. But this is going to be a church where we encourage one another in holiness. You are allowed to struggle. But if you are living in sin and you're not convicted and you just keep coming to church, we got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. I don't know if that's a California thing, but it's a biblical thing. Why do we do this? Notice what God says. We're not going to deal with Achan uh, privately. We're going to deal with him publicly. And I want you to put stones over him. Now, if you study stones in Joshua, here's what you understand. They're memorials. When they get through the Jordan River, God says, set up stones. I you to remember. He does the same thing in Joshua 7. I want you to remember this horrific act of this person's sin, him being... Remember it. Why? So that it would provoke and instigate holiness in your life. There were times when our kids were young, Jaden will tell you, we didn't do this a lot. On occasion, one of our kids would do something. We'd gather all the kids together and we'd say, your brother has been lying. So here's what's going to happen. And those jokers, their eyes would get real big and you could see it all over their face. I ain't going to do that. That's why you do communal discipline at times. So that it instigates holiness among the whole body. Heavy sermon, I know. Here's the good news. Achan's name means trouble. What was his mama thinking? One man's sin brings trouble on the whole nation. 1 Corinthians 5 and Romans 5 tells us that Adam is the original Achan. That sin entered the world through one man, Adam, and infected everybody. But then the good news... Jesus Christ is the second Adam. And unlike the first Adam, he didn't bring sin. He brought righteousness. And righteousness now comes through the second Adam, Jesus, and is available to all. So that there's grace for Achan's. But that only comes to Jesus. Well, pastor, I don't don't know. Following Jesus means I can't do things my way. Sort of like the older man who sat down, this elderly man with the doctor. And the doctor said, your cholesterol is high. And he says, yeah, I I knew that doctor. And the doctor says, well, you got to stop eating cheeseburgers and French fries. And this older man says, but I love eating cheeseburgers and French fries. And the doctor says, do you have grandkids? He says, yes. Do you enjoy playing with your grandkids? The man says, yes. The doctor says, well, then I need you to give up your lesser freedoms for the greater freedom of a relationship with your grandkids. That's what life in Christ is like. It is giving up the lesser freedoms of this life to enjoy the greater freedom 
of a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. I know this is heavy and you may be here today and you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior and you want to be the captain of your own ship. God is saying today, I believe that when you stand and you face God, if you don't give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, he's going to remember this day, October 22nd, 2017 and says, I brought you to abundant life. You have no excuse so that you would hear the depths of your sin and be astounded at the even greater depths of my grace and mercy for you. Why would you turn that down? So I want to pray. I want to pray for two people. One, for those of you who don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, that you would surrender your heart and life to Jesus. But two... I want to pray for those who would call yourself Christians, but you've been acting like Achan, living independently. God says, would you repent? See, see, I believe God goes through this whole process, brings up a whole community, cast lots, cast lots, cast lots. It takes all this time. I believe if Achan would have just stepped forward in the middle of it all before it got to him and says, I did it, God would have extended grace right there. But he kept hiding, kept hiding, kept hiding, kept hiding, kept hiding. So, Father, in the name of Jesus. God, someone needs to be added to your kingdom today. Someone's been doing life on their own terms. And they are not a follower of you. God, would you save today in the name of Jesus? God, someone's here today and they would call themselves follower of you, but they've been living in sin. God, would you rescue? Would you capture them by your grace and mercy? Would you write a new chapter in their life today? Would you call them to repentance? Do it, Father, we pray in Jesus' name.
Let us all stand now as we prepare to leave. I want to end a little bit differently today as we're, we're preparing to leave. And at the end of service, I want to remind you again, those of you first-time guests, I'm going to be at the fellowship hall to my left, to your right. I'd love to meet with you. But in Joshua chapter 7, Joshua says something very interesting. When he's calling Achan to confess, he says, give glory to God. Which means one of the ways we glorify God is when we confess our sins. And 1 John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just not to remind us, not to hold a grudge, but to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this week, I don't have a statement for us to say together, but I want us to leave giving God glory and praise and just standing in a moment of prayer, confessing our sins to God, giving him glory and receiving his grace and forgiveness. Right now, all over this place, would you just confess your sins to God? Would you give him glory by confessing your sins to him? Father, in the name of Jesus, as we prepare to leave, it sounds a little bit like a cliche, but it's thoroughly biblical. You have more mercy than we have mess. You long for us, Lord God, to, to come to you and to just say, I'm sorry. And God, you are there to forgive us and to cleanse us. God, we receive your forgiveness. We receive your cleansing in the name of Jesus. God, help us to go to war with our sin. Help us to lean on the power of the Holy Spirit and abide in deep community, Lord God. Help us as that iron to sharpen one another in the name of Jesus. Uh, God, we pray for the witness of abundant life. That, that this would be a church that honors you by honoring your bride. So we pray against dissension. We pray against division. We, 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 we pray against a gossiping spirit. We, we pray against those things in the name of Jesus. God, would this be a place of holiness and righteousness and grace and growth in you? God, do it. Not that we can parade around in some kind of a self-righteous, arrogant way, but in a humble way, always cognizant that if it was not for your grace, where would we be? So we leave here, Lord God, renewed in our commitment to you to be the effective witnesses in the bay that you have called us to be, standing on the grace of your son, Jesus, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, we walk in the victory you have already secured for us on the cross. It is in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen and amen. You are sent. God bless.